It's a pleasure today to have Pastor Jim Carn visiting with us. Jim, come on up. And uh, Dave Band from the Global Outreach or Missions Committee has got a few words of introduction Dave's going to share. Good morning. Uh, on a personal note, do dreams come true? Absolutely. Today is one of them. We're very grateful. Uh, on behalf of the Missions Committee, uh, it is an honor to introduce our guest speaker this morning. And in his own words, he was born 91 years ago. And coming from a non-Christian home at the age of 12, he came to faith as a result of a street ministry. At the age of 13, prepared his first sermon, and six years later, pastored his first Free Methodist Church in Windsor. He quit three months later never expecting to return. He married his wife, Lorraine, in 1954, and after their first child, he felt a keen sense to go back to university, earned his BA and his ordination, leading to 31 years in the pastorate. After leaving the Free Methodist denomination, he and his wife, Lorraine, came to Auburn in 1985. Thirteen amazing years later, he went into a mystical type of retirement. He's retired 13 times since then. Four after, four, I'm sorry, four hours after his first retirement, he had an offer to drive a transport truck, which he did until he was 76. He has served as an interim pastor in a variety of denominations, presently serving after 70 years of ministry at Feversham Nazarene Church. I'm pretty sure he will leave this world still wearing that same harness. My wife Diane has known him longer than I, <clears throat> excuse me, dating back to his time as camp director during her public school days. He has pastored many churches over the years and still is along with his wonderful wife Lorraine. I have never ever heard her say you hired him, not me. She has faithfully served by his side all these years. These are the people who show us how it's supposed to be done. The world is a better place because you have been there. We thank God our paths have crossed. If you have never heard Pastor Karn ask you, how are you doing? Put his arm around your shoulder and prayed for you. You have never really lived. I distinctly remember the Sunday he announced he wanted to be the first to contribute to a building fund for a new church and abruptly put the seed of faith money in the offering plate. Uh, I was treasurer at that time, and I know it should be held in confidence, but I distinctly remember it somewhere between $50 and $150. And when I saw him, I thought deep inside, oh no, I know where that was leading, because I wasn't quite there yet at that point. And here we are today. Here we are. I really didn't think we would be able to do that again today, but I didn't think we could do it back then either. And uh, how many of you have never heard or met Pastor Karn speak before? I'm quite interested in knowing that. But if I were to ask in 20 minutes, everyone's hand would be up, wouldn't it? And how many would rather be here in church in Auburn than in the best jail in the county? <clears throat> well, we try to be, be very careful as to who we invite to speak in our church, and 
This may be a shock to you, but this morning's speaker has served time. Not long, but yep, he's been put in a slammer. There is a noble reason for that, trust me. And he would say that, well, they did the same to the Apostle Paul. Pastor Karn is a man of words and quite articulate, and I'm sorry if I put you on the spot this morning. But I can hardly wait to see how you fess up and come clean on this one. This will be good. Pastor Karn is a gifted speaker, a man of, of words in a wonderful way. He's a great communicator, loves the Lord, loves the gospel and the message of hope. He has a heart for missions wherever he goes and a love for people and a desire to help them find their way home. We are delighted and honored to have you here with us today. Come and do what you do best, Pastor Karn. Reverend Pastor Jim Karn. I don't know how to express the delight of Lorraine and me to be in Auburn. We left 23 years ago. Some of you have got older. And it's such a delight to be here for this occasion. My wife said recently when we were thinking about Auburn and some other places as well, we have such wonderful friends, and we do. And many of you whom we know personally have become a part of our lives, and we've been enriched as a consequence of that. Then she added this thought, in order to have wonderful friends, you have to be a wonderful friend. So you've got wonderful friends as well. If I do not recognize you, it's not my age, it's because of the mask, of course. I do have a problem recognizing people. I remember names much better. And I uh, have done fairly well in resurrecting names this morning. And uh, such a delight to greet those whom I know. But I'd like to know a lot more of you. And I hope after the service you will not be backward in approaching Lorraine and me and uh, making yourself known. Uh, we'd like to add you to our list of wonderful friends. I just want to say this too, that uh, we are so honored to have our old next door neighbor come Joel Plunkett beside whom we lived for 13 years. And uh, we're honored, Jewel, to have you here and uh, for the way our lives interacted uh, so many years ago. The need for the new, taken from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43 and verse 19. See, 
I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? A common reaction to the greeting, how are things going, is very often, same old, same old. The very, word, the very words are depressing, suggesting that uh, nothing new, nothing exciting, just the same old thing. I'm not uh, touting novelty this morning as a thing in itself. I don't believe in just creating new things, but I can tell you that if your life is same old, same old, there's something deadly about that. And that's true for the church as well. I have a sense that if something is of God, it should be fresh and new and exciting, powerful. I almost feel embarrassed when I hear churches closing and uh, the church being ignored in so many places. I think that anything that is of God should be front page. And yet today, and I must include myself in this category, so many of us are living on old blessings and the things which God did so many years ago. I wonder what the answer would be if someone said to God, how are things going? What do you say? Same old, same old. I think he would respond by the words of the text this morning. I'm doing a new thing. Do you not see it? I want to notice in this new thing that God is doing is, is that it is his own volition. Nobody's forcing him to do it. It may not even be the result of an answer to prayer. I think God is always active, always initiating the new and the miraculous for his church. I don't know whether or not you've thought of this, but uh, it occurred to me a while back, and I don't know why I had never thought of it before. But do you know that everything God does, everything God does is for you and for me and for his people? It's never self-serving. He's not doing it for himself. He's doing it for us. That's astonishing. God busy all the time 
planning things for us. And this is his own initi initiative. And it's startling to think that it's God who is doing this. What an astonishing thing. It is God who is doing a new thing for you and for me. That suggests to me that God has a purpose. His acts are not random. The Bible indicates a thread all the way through it from Genesis to the book of Revelation. There's a plan revealed in the scriptures. And every once in a while, there is a, an acute development of that plan. So I'm not expecting God to do a new thing every day, necessarily. But I am expecting that he does have a plan for me and a plan for the church. And he moves every once in a while to do something new and to have us do something new. So there is a purpose in what he does. There is a progression in what he does. And this stage in the Bible, in the book of Isaiah, who talks about, unto you a child is born. A virgin shall give birth. A savior shall suffer, as described in the 53rd chapter. And it is a new step in the development of God's purpose. God's purpose is progressive. It's not static. And it seems to me that uh, if what God is doing is related to us, then there should be progression in all that we do. It's strange that things sometimes are so ordinary and so boring that when we do have something major happen in our lives in the past, and we tend to stay there. We don't have to do that. In fact, God says, don't stay there. Forget the former things. Something brand new. Not something left over. Something brand new and by contrast, Past things hardly count. He, he recites some of the past things in this chapter, a path through the waters, referring to the deliverance of Israel from Egypt, 
And we could add to that manna in the desert, bread falling out of heaven, the walls of Jericho falling down. So many astonishing things in the past. And God says, you ain't seen nothing yet. I'm doing a new thing. So that new thing is not only volitional on God's part, but it's visible. Do you not see it? I have an idea that when God does a miracle, you should be aware of it. It should be so unique and so powerful and so godly that it'll be very noticeable. When I stand in this church, I am in awe. When we came to Auburn, there were 40 people in the old church on the main street. And what God did amazes me. I still talk about it. And it is of such a nature that you can hardly ignore it. This community must know when something happened in Huron Chapel that resulted in this church, this brand new church, church that seats what, uh, do I understand, something like 300 or 250 or something in a village that when we were here numbered 240. Visible. When God acts, the seas open. When water sprouts from a rock. When Paul was standing before Agrippa, speaking in his own defense, he said, you must know about these things. It wasn't done in a corner. Pretty hard to keep a miracle in a corner, out of sight, unnoticeable. And I say again, it's my conviction that anything that is of God should be front page news. Then, the third thing I want to bring to your attention is that there is always a voluntary aspect in what God does. He never acts alone. 
as much as his miracles are all of him, he always invites us into them. When he opened the Red Sea, the children of Israel had to believe that the waters would stay parted while they walked a considerable distance to waters that could come crashing down any moment when God brought down the walls of Jericho. He did it through his people. Their part was innocuous in the sense that all they had to do was walk around three days or seven days, was it? Just walk around the walls, that's all. No part in the miracle part of it, but no miracle without it. So he always invites us to be a part of his, of his uh, miracles. He said in this chapter, you are witnesses. Your job is to witness, to bear testimony to what I'm doing. What new thing, what new thing does God want to do in your life and in your church? I must tell you that this, this church is in a very dangerous position. And that's because there are such wonderful things in the past. I don't mean the distant past, I mean in the recent past as well. And this church is in a position to be comfortable, to have enough people and enough money, even though COVID has somewhat changed that scenario. But this church is in a position to live in the past. And God wants to do a new thing. I'm not that much of a prophet that I can ex tell you exactly what shape that new thing will take. But I can make a few suggestions because I've had it happen in my life. When, uh, when we left uh, here and started to serve part-time in a number of other churches. Again, it was tempting to simply fall into routine and think all I had to do was visit people and preach on Sunday. And just maintain the status quo until they got a new pastor, full-time pastor. I knew that if all I did as a pastor was maintain the ordinary, 
It would mean nothing. There had to be something new. I found, and this is, this is strange because it doesn't relate to the church particularly, and I think that's not a bad thing. I found that God was laying on my heart to visit my neighbors. Now, we live in the town of Thornbury, which is near Collingwood, Owen Sound. It's a retirement community. And we have around us, in quite a number, millionaire people. Their weekend cottage costs a million dollars or more. But they're my neighbors. I was intimidated by the fact that they were millionaires. I created all kinds of responses that they might have to my visiting them. Is this guy trying to case the joint? <laughs> What's his motive? What's he up to? But I couldn't get away from the fact that millionaires have souls too. They need to be saved. I procrastinated for a long time, but my, one of my great-grandsons had heard me express this interest, and he said one day, well, Grandpa, let's go. Well, you can't break your grandson's bubble that Grandpa can do anything. He couldn't let him down. So he and I went visiting our millionaire neighbors. Just one in that particular case. I didn't know what I was going to say. I think I was hoping secretly that there'd be nobody home. And I thought my grandson was going to stay in the car. But to my consternation, I looked around and he's following me into the house. And that kind of gave me my opening line when, the, when Tony answered the door. I said, don't worry, we're not Jehovah's Witnesses. <laughs> he was not open. Wasn't over, overly friendly, didn't invite us in. And I didn't say anything, I don't think, about the gospel. I just invited him into the community as a neighbor. And that was about the end of the experience. A year or so later, I was still concerned about Tony and his wife, and I had been harvesting honey, I, I keep bees, so I thought, well, here's an opportunity, so I 
took a bottle of honey and went back to see Tony. Accepted the honey, talked casually at the door, didn't invite me in. And as far as I know, nothing is different because I made that effort. But it isn't over yet. And I don't think it's up to me to determine the result. It's up to me to do what the Lord wants me to do. We have a number, number of new neighbors around us now, all with gigantic homes. You can tell which home is ours, by the way. And when this pandemic declines, as it seems to be doing to some degree, I expect to take a jar of honey and go to my millionaire neighbors and welcome them to the community. I pastored a country church many years ago. In fact, it was the second church that I pastored. I was out visiting one day with a family who had no connection to our church, but had some relatives that did, and they were very open to, to our visit. One could look out their dining room window and see the house of some of my members of the church I was serving. And that woman, whom we were visiting, made a statement that I think I shall never forget. She said, we have lived here for 30 years, and I don't know those neighbors any better now than I did when we moved. That's a damning thing. What would happen? What would happen in this community should God call 12 of you, hopefully more, but 12 of you, or 10 of you, or even 5 of you, who should have the sense that you need to know your neighbors better. You need to know your community better. I believe you would have a new thing happening. I believe you would. Well, that's one thing in which the Lord led me. I live far enough away from the church that I pastor that I doubt that if there is a spiritual response on the part of those people, they will never come to my church, and it doesn't matter. I said to my people, and by the way, just for your interest, my congregation, when it is all there, is six people. I'm the seventh. And I said to my people, I don't care if 
No one else attends this church as long as we are seeing people born into the kingdom of God. We're too concerned about what people could do for us. Well, something that I fell into, not realizing the impact it might have, was to teach English over the internet. I did it because I have a, an interest in language. I happened to take Greek when I was in grade 10, Latin, French, and Greek, all in grade 10. And I studied Greek for five years, and it, has, it helped me in my pursuit of good English. And I don't know what the circumstances were, why at that moment I decided I'd like to learn a new language, but I came about and I thought, well, now Russian is similar to Greek. It uses the same alphabet, and it might be quite easy as a consequence of that. So I decided maybe I'd study Russian. Spasibo. Thank you. That's about all I know so far. <laughs> and then, again, I don't know why, it occurred to me that I, having had a year of study in Hebrew, that maybe learning Arabic, which is similar, might be interesting. So there are sites on the internet which encourage, foster language exchange. I offered to teach English, they offered to teach me, whoever responds offers me to teach, to, uh, to teach me their language. I, I was 76 when I started this program, and I thought nobody will be interested in talking to somebody 76. Do you know, I at last count, and that's a long time ago, I had 600 people in my coterie of correspondents. Fortunately, they're not all active at once. And I began to see, that's a long time ago, and I'm still at it, by the way, I began to see that God had me involved in that for more reasons than learning a language or teaching somebody else a language. It wasn't very long before someone would say, after my being on site every day, five days a week. My wife tells me that I talk to her in English one hour on Sunday. That's when I'm preaching. And they begin to say, why are you doing this? Not charging anything, and they have gone through courses that have cost them a lot of money. Why are you doing this? And I say, well, I'm a Christian, and I 
think I'm supposed to be helpful. And without my urging or even my suggesting, some have said, as I should back up and say that part of our learning process is to read together. I read a portion, they get my, my uh, dialect and my pronunciation, and they read a portion. And I don't know, I think there have been at least three who have said, let's read the Bible. One of those persons was a, or is, a policeman in Russia contacted me too because I mentioned that I was interested in learning Russia. Russian. And it turned out that after we connected, he went through a very difficult time or times in his life. And he dropped out for quite a while. One day I got a message and it said, I've become a Christian. I'm a believer. Well, I can't dwell there, but that was a new thing. About uh, seven years ago, a young girl from Saudi Arabia, from Mecca, the holiest city in Islam, 19-year-old girl wrote me, said she wanted help with English and she would help me with Arabic. And I knew nothing about Islam at that time, knew nothing about the Quran. And so I said to her, what does the Quran say about love? And we got going in a back and forth exchange. She married about three or four years ago, and it turns out her husband was studying in Ottawa. And after they married, she came to Ottawa with her husband. So Lorraine and I got in the car and drove five hours to Ottawa. <laughs> Met her and her husband for the first time. On Sunday, we were going to go to church, and Gassoon said, I'd like to go with you. And I thought, that's rather radical. She wears a hijab, a head covering. She's Muslim in every sense, and so is her husband. And I thought even if she was interested in going, what would her husband say? But he let her go, and so for the first time, she sat under the gospel. Well, enough of the stories, but I'm saying my life kind of came alive. And I realized I had a ministry on my hands. Just as a matter of interest, after they married, they were not successful in having children. And it turns out that there were 
biological reasons for that. And I said, I'll, I'll pray about that. And the short story is that a few months ago she had a baby girl. She attributes my prayers for that. I happened to knit. My wife was a knitter and we sit and knit together. I suggested sometimes we won't even, the time will come when we won't even need the wool, we'll just knit. <laughs> but anyway, I knit a baby's outfit. I, I have it in the trunk of the car. I was going to show it to you here, but that may seem like it's boasting. So it's just as well I forgot to bring it in. But anyway, it, it's quite an attractive outfit. I'm going to send this to a Muslim girl in Mecca. Remember when we started here in 1985, the mission's budget was $2,500, as I recall. $2,500. Not bad for a congregation of 40. In 1988, 13 years later, and I still, I still can't get over this, we raised $86,000 for missions. 86,000. That's bigger than some of the operating budgets of churches. In addition to that, over those 13 years, we raised $90,000 for a building fund. We paid all of our bills and had money left over. God does things on a big scale, in case anybody asks you. And it's only a drop in the bucket. It's only the smallest thing that God can do. At the same time, this was a year or two after we came here, I suggest we have a missions conference, a weekend perhaps, where we would invite a number of missionaries to come. And we proceeded to build a rather, I think, lavish scenario. I remember once we had missionaries here from France and one of our, our, our people who was a wonderful artist drew the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> and, and we, over the years, well, the first year, let me say, it fell flat. Didn't happen. And I thought, well, that's the end of that. Well, next year, somebody said, let's do it again. So we did it again. And our missions focus took off. And by the way, if anybody asks me what is essential for the success of the church, my response is one of the things is missions. Missions. 
were to go into all the world. If we lose that focus, then we're playing church. And it was through those missions conferences that the money started to come in. But in addition to that, we started going on mission trips. That was a new thing. Went to Mexico three times from this church. I've been 14 times since then to Haiti and a number of other places. I was so delighted when I read just a year or so ago that there was a group of young people going on a missions trip. New things. Well, what's Sharon Chapel going to do? Same old? Same old, as good as that old is? Or move along with God who's promising to do a new thing? Amen.